This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew 21, Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their clothes on them, their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. On January 2, 1965, little nine-year-old Cheyenne Webb and her best friend Rachel West were playing in front of Brown Chapel AME Church in Selma, Alabama. On that day, there were more cars than usual and fancier cars than she was used to seeing in her neighborhood. So she and Rachel walked closer and saw a man dressed in a nice white starch shirt, black tie, and black slacks. And a crowd gathered around the stranger, and another man walked up to the girls and said to them, Do you know who this man is? They did not. It was the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Dr. King saw the two girls and walked over to them. He asked them where they lived, and they pointed over there and asked how they were and where they went to school. One of the men in the crowd told them to run along because the grown folks were about to meet. But Dr. King disagreed. He said, let them come in, taking them by the hand and leading them into the church, and he sat them down in the back. And now as King was engaging these children, he said, what do you little girls want? Well, Cheyenne remembers, we looked at each other and didn't say anything. He said, now children, when I ask you little girls what you want, I want you to say, freedom. (laughs) And then he said, now, when do you little girls want it? And again, they looked at each other, didn't know what to say. And he said, when I ask you, when do you want it? I want you to say, now. What do we want? Freedom. When do we want it? Now. Imagine being taught that chant by Martin Luther King Jr. Amazing. Well, it was a moment 
that changed Cheyenne's life. She ran to tell her parents, but they weren't so receptive. My daddy told me, she remembers, you just better stay away from that mess. They were worried about her safety, worried about theirs, worried about potentially losing their jobs. So they said, you better stay away from that. Well, little Cheyenne did the exact opposite. She would sneak out, skip school, and spend hours at that church for mass meetings. And as she spent time with King, Hosea Williams, John Lewis, and other activists, it awakened something within her. She says, I was already inquisitive, but I gained some courage because I was around courageous people. Well, when March 7 of that year came, her parents begged her not to march. She snuck out anyway and left a note for them on the washing machine. She was apologetic for disobeying them, but ultimately she wrote, I am marching for our freedom. She dressed in capri pants, threw her hair in a barrette, and put on her white and black Oxfords, her marching shoes. Now, the march had been planned by John Lewis and Hosea Williams in response to the killing of civil rights activist Jimmy Lee Jackson by an Alabama state trooper. And the group planned to march from Selma to the state capital of Montgomery, 54 miles in all. And as they began the 15-minute walk toward the Edmund Pettus Bridge, little nine-year-old Cheyenne began to see dozens of white people in a wall of law enforcement. Some of them would just start yelling the N-word out, trying to distract the marchers, she said. Some would even come up and spit on us. I could see the policemen with their billy clubs, their tear gas masks. I saw the horses, the dogs. My heart started beating fast, and I just knew something was about to happen. Well, what came next? as we recall, shocked the country as white state troopers and sheriff's deputies attacked and senselessly beat many of the 600 peaceful marchers, leading to dozens of injuries and hospitalizations on what became known as Bloody Sunday. How did our text today put it? The whole city was in turmoil. Afterward, little Cheyenne sat in her bedroom, chest heaving, face streaked with tears, her throat still burning from the tear gas. And her parents were perched next to her on her little child-sized bed trying to calm her screams. And they watched as she wrote furiously capturing the lyrics from a song, Oh Freedom, that she'd heard over and over during the past few months. And they were ultimately gutted as they read to the end what she wrote. She'd written about her own funeral arrangements. Nine years old. On what we call, now call, Palm Sunday, Jesus started something of a demonstration as well. These, of course, were the days leading up to Passover, an ancient celebration of the overthrow of an oppressive empire and the march to freedom by the children of Israel, right, as they escaped the clutches of Egypt and Pharaoh. 
And so thousands of pilgrims would descend upon Jerusalem, the holy city, to commemorate that liberation. And as they did so in this particular year, there was tension in the air because they were once again under the oppressive rule of another foreign oppressor, this time Rome. And there had been an old prophecy written centuries earlier by Zechariah, the prophet, shortly after the time of Alexander the Great, imagining the Messiah arriving not on a majestic war horse like Alexander would lead, would ride into a conquered city, but rather arriving on a humble beast of burden, a donkey, a symbol of humility, of peace, of a different way. And as Jesus begins to ride this animal, folks begin to take notice. A crowd begins to gather. Folks bring palm fronds to the scene, a symbol of resistance. They chant, Hosanna, save us! And hope arises within. Could this be the one we've been waiting for? Could this be the moment our liberation is at hand? More voices join the chants. And by the time Jesus reaches the city, things are at a fever pitch. And the whole city was in turmoil. After the events of March 7, 1965, in Selma, the country moved swiftly to pass the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Sentiment moved quickly that the cause of the peaceful civil rights marchers was just and right. Because when we show up unarmed, and ready to love our neighbor to the point, not the point that we are willing not to dish out harm, but if necessary to have harm done to ourselves, it echoes and taps into this ancient way of peace that Jesus embodied so long ago. Conversely, when we show up armed and ready to cause harm to others, we betray our cause and do not reflect this way of Jesus. And there are far too many examples of this, even by supposed Jesus followers. See the, see the events of early January 2021 for a recent example. But a question remains, if Jesus came in peace and love for all, why did Rome feel it necessary to kill him? Why did the Roman authorities perceive Jesus as a threat when he preached and lived nonviolence? Well, they probably didn't appreciate this little demonstration. For one thing, which could have been seen as lampooning the way of Caesar and the way of Rome. But beyond that, Andrew Harvey posits, is that Jesus' teachings challenged the entire patriarchal order on which Roman power was based. We heard a little bit of that in our words of integration and guidance. And he further says, to a world obsessed by power, Jesus offered a vision of the radiance of powerlessness and the powerful vulnerability of love. To a culture riddled with authoritarianism of every kind, he gave a vision of the holiness of empowering every person, including the least among us. 
into a society arranged at every level into hierarchies. He presented in his own life, being, and daily practice a vision of a radical and all-embracing egalitarianism. Harvey says, all the ideals that Jesus stressed of humility, tenderness for life, for life, not tenderness for life, so that's a different... <laughs> I'll start that over. <laughs> all the ideals that Jesus stressed, humility, tenderness for life, embrace of the outcast and the abandoned, it ran counter to the competitive and militaristic way of Rome. <coughs> and at the moment when one of history's most powerful systems was at its peak, Jesus revealed and enacted a way of subverting all of its beliefs, practices, goals, and truths. And he was killed for it. And so when Jesus shows up, unarmed and filled with divine love, not only on this peace march on Palm Sunday, but throughout this final week, including his arrest, torture, and crucifixion, and yet continues to offer love and forgiveness, he radiated and unleashed something so powerful that it would spark a movement, initially of dozens of followers, then hundreds, thousands, and today billions of followers <coughs> of Jesus across the globe. And the earliest among them also lived out his way of love, justice, and peace so strongly that it cost many of them their lives as well. No doubt the words of Jesus echoed in their ears, whoever wants to be my disciple must take up their cross and follow me. And if I'm honest, it's one of the reasons that I'm more apt to claim that I'm aspiring to be a follower of Jesus than presuming that I am one. Because my following of Jesus has usually been culturally approved. It's been the safe thing, the expected thing. But it hasn't really cost me that much. And while I've joined a few marches and protests over the years, and I know many of you have as well, has my life ever really been in danger? And if I knew it were going to be, I wonder if I would choose to stay home instead. <laughs> If I'm being honest, Thomas Akempis was a German-Dutch theologian born in 1380, so just a few years back, and he wrote an essay entitled, On the Few Lovers of the Cross of Jesus. And in that he writes, Jesus has many who love his kingdom in heaven, but few who bear his cross. He has many who desire comfort, but few who desire to share his suffering. He finds many to share his feast, but few his fasting. All desire to rejoice with him, but few are willing to suffer for his sake. Many follow Jesus to the breaking of bread, but few to the drinking of the cup of his passion. Many admire his miracles, 
but few follow him in the humiliation of the cross. Many love Jesus as long as no hardship touches them. He says, oh, how powerful is the pure love of Jesus, free from all self-interest and self-love. Where will you find one who is willing to serve God without reward? He ends the essay with this. There is no one richer, more powerful, or more free than the one who can forsake himself and all else and set himself or herself in the lowest place. And that echoes one of the earliest Christian hymns about Jesus found in the letter to the Philippians. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As Jesus washes the disciples' feet after their last meal together, he says, as I have served you, so you must serve one another. And later he adds, greater, has no, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Little nine-year-old Cheyenne Webb is now 67 years old. And last month she had the chance to join the 58th anniversary of the walk across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma. And in reminiscing about that day, she said, I used to hear Dr. King and others talk about how sometimes you have to fight for one another and even be willing to die. To die for what you know is right. That day, Bloody Sunday, was the day when I really, truly understood what he meant. A nine-year-old girl who gets it. That gives me great hope that a few of us might get it as well. Amen. Amen. Maybe so. Invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. streaming on Facebook. You can also watch these messages on the Holland UCC YouTube channel. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.